This is about a corrupt priest and corruption, and even his archbishop. His bishop is corrupt. Were you, were you concerned at all about this? Oh, this is just another anti-Catholic priest movie. Is there another story that's, that the movie is telling, in your opinion? Yeah, I'm sure that people will initially may want to come away with that or look at that on the surface. Uh, I certainly don't see so. Uh, I mean, I'm clearly from, I'm a very committed Catholic and I love the church uh, and and, Cath- and everybody who worked on this uh, uh, for the most part was a committed Catholic who loves the church. I just think that uh, I mean, if we're going to be talking about um, issues, you have to talk about them and deal with them honestly. Hi, my name is Anne McElhenney. And I'm Phelan McAleer. And welcome to the Anne and Phelan Scoop. Yes, so... It's March. It's Phelan, March. Phelan is, is donning a one-armed bandit <laughs> outfit yeah, today. It was, it was a bar. And it was a bar, but... Um, that's the most exciting part of it. Yeah, that's the best part. No of it. alcohol think, involved. No, no. Um, Nothing involved, really. No, the world's no, no. most boring story that I won't even bore you with. It was like... It I had was a just b- basically, yeah, Phelan got into an aggressive situation with, with a, a chair. Ch- yes. Yeah. That, that's how exciting it is, yes. yes. So I think we'll just leave it at that. The chair was more interesting than I was, really. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. well, oh, yeah, our cat, Top Cat, has been mis- has been behaving oddly. Very oddly and yesterday. And this morning, I think I discovered the reason. Yes. When I oh, woke up. no. Are you going to put a photograph up of what you discovered? In the I'm going to show it to you now. and uh, Decide whether or not it should be well, shown. Well, actually, you tell me, Anne. You haven't seen this. I haven't. You tell me whether we should be... Sharing this video, this picture of what he produced... Oh, my God. So people who don't want to look at it, by the way, just look away right yes, now. Yes, look away. But that is... Now, I wonder was, where's the rest of the body? Consumed, I presume. That's why they're still lying in bed. Where's the tail? Okay. Phelan, you have an interview then this morning, today, this week, with um, a filmmaker. Um, yes. Tell us that. Well, actually, you're going to tell, about, no, tell no, us let's all tell about us that later. Yes, we're going to have... Um, so interview with Paul Bois, a brilliant filmmaker uh, and a Breitbart journalist. So we're going to talk about that later. And I've been asking some inconvenient questions again. I sit down for an hour-long interview with Patrice Cullors of the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, and we hear her apology and explanation for her giving her boyfriend and brother almost $2 million of charitably donated money. Just kidding. Uh, no, of course, she she wouldn't. Uh, I, no, uh, I go along to an event to ask her these difficult questions, and uh, you won't believe how it ended. Actually, you will believe how it ended. It ended badly. So uh, watch but me. But you have to see that. Yes, you have to see that's coming up later in the show. And uh, what's happening in the humanities? Oh, the humanity. Yes, there's an article. Where was it? In the New Yorker. Uh, short, one of those short New York yes, articles. Yes, nine million know. words. The end of the English major. Enrollment in the humanities is in free fall in colleges around the country. What happened? Well, we can tell you, but the, the New Yorker won't, so we'll talk about that later on. And, of course... What the world really, really needs is a woke Peter Pan. Yes. We'll bring you news from the trailer that's just been released. And uh, Hollywood, as an industry, uses more energy than just about any other industry, but they love to show you how much they really, really hate fossil fuels. And speaking of crazy California, well, why wouldn't we? Uh, we, we we're we laboring at the moment, or most a lot of California is laboring under dozens of feet of snow. Correct. Thousands of people are stuck up mountains running. People out have of died. People have died, by the way. Yeah. I mean, actually, another another body was discovered this weekend. Um, they're running out of food. They're running out of medicine. They're stranded. They're, they're in houses with no heat. 
And Gavin Newsom has gone full Ted Cruz. Actually, he's out Ted Cruz. No, he's Ted. out Ted, in fairness, and we'll bring you the reasons why we why we can confidently say he's out Ted Cruz. Quite a feat, actually. It's quite a feat. So, and, and then we'll talk about the drought. Um, okay, and, um, oh yeah, I meant to mention that, actually. Actually, let's, let's the show, I should have mentioned this at the beginning. COVID madness goes on, but, but finally we're learning more yes. and more and more and more. So... Uh, in Britain, which had one of the most severe lockdowns in the world, apart from Ireland, which is even more severe because they have to be better than Britain. It's a long story. Uh, the Irish inferiority complex to England. Matt Hancock, who was the British health minister, uh, was writing his diaries and he gave 100,000 of his WhatsApp messages to a journalist. And those WhatsApp messages have been re- revealed and yes, leaked and, and, and we're all getting to read and find out actually what he was really thinking. Yes. And this is Matt Hancock for those of you who are not living in the UK and may not know about this health minister from the UK ex former ex, uh, health minister yes. of the U- and the reason Why is he former? Yes, the reason tell us. But the reason that he's a former um health minister is that while he was urging the whole country to, you know, lock down and, 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 and adhere to these extreme, absolutely crazy lockdown measures, he was discovered on a security camera inside number 10, am I right, Phil? Or in his uh, office. In, in the his health offices, department. In the health department. Pinning his assistant up against a wall to give her some, you know, what, what we used to say at school, what was it, you know, massage her tonsils was one of the phrases perhaps, with, his, with his tongue. Perhaps he feared for her respiratory uh, distress. Anyway, you can to... imagine, you can imagine in the UK, the tabloids had quite the time with the name yes. Hancock, you know, oh, and oh. Uh, yeah, don't go there, Anne. Okay, I won't yes, go there because go there, this Anne. is a Just... clean, this is a family show. But yeah, I mean, and it's actually with, with the release of these um, text messages, these WhatsApp text messages, I mean, it's really, it's actually... There's a couple of things. One is this thing of that they, you know, you you actually hear the inner workings of his mind. You know, of, uh, when he wasn't thinking pretty. about when he wasn't thinking about his assistant, he was thinking about how to terrorize. By the way, how to terrorize British people. I mean, one of the pieces, and this is reported. This is everywhere, by the way, right now in the the. This is from the the BBC film, this piece here, um, yeah. that he had a plan. He was planning to frighten the pants off everyone. Oh, that's right. He suggested to an aide that they frighten the pants off everyone about COVID. Messages published by the Sunday Ta- Telegraph show. Now it appears had, the yeah. former health secretary discussed when to reveal the existence of the Kent variant of COVID to ensure people compi- complied with lockdown. In another exchange, the head of the civil service, Simon Case, suggested the fear-guilt factor was vital to yeah. the government's messaging. And remember the police were arresting women for walking with coffee mugs, uh, coffee yes. cups and, and that. And the government said, we're independent. The police are independent. They're only enforcing the law. He was urging the police to get heavy with those who broke the lockdown rules whilst he was breaking the lockdown rules. And whilst his own prime minister, by the way, was having drunken parties in Downing Street breaking the lockdown rules. And they also, he, he and his senior civil servant mocked people who flew in from outside uh, yes. UK and were forced to quarantine ho- in hotels. And by the way, you know this is a conservative government. And 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 Hancock, you know, the conservative said it was superb. I just wanted to see some, you know, case as senior civil servant. I just wanted to see some of the faces of people coming out of first class and into a Premier Inn shoebox, which is a really bad hotel. And uh, you know, it shows the mentality, right? But also, it's like th- if this was a social justice warrior on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You, it would sound the same. It would sound the same. Yeah. 
Yeah. So this is class warfare from conserv- so-called conservatives, you know, and uh, they want oh, to yeah. know... If oh, that was a question, yeah. So Hancock said, how many people did we lock up in hotels yesterday? He asked his assistant. Um, and Oh, sorry, our, our case asked him. And he said, none, none. But 149 chose to enter the country and are now in quarantine hotels due to their own free will. Ha, 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 ha. And, and case responded, hilarious. hilarious. So this is how these people were talking to each other. It's a, it's a horrible revelation, but we um, kind of suspected it. Boris right? Johnson said it was superb that two individuals had been fined £10,000 for coming back to the UK without entering quarantine. This was just weeks before staff at Number 10 Downing Street held a controversial illegal party themselves, violating the government rules. And I used to really like Boris Johnson. And here's what he says, like, superb, you know, delighted. And then and then he has a party, like, yes. you know, yeah, wine, ga- wine gate. Do they My call it boss. wine gate or what do they call it? So, party I mean, gate. the thing, you know, this is both unconservative and it's hypocritical. But the actual reality is, the truth about this is, that shows they don't believe their own propaganda. This yeah. was about creating yeah. fear. It was about creating this illusion of doing something. It was about politics. Uh, but they didn't believe it because they were partying behind the scenes whilst fining you and me £10,000 whilst arresting people, uh, whilst putting people in sorry, in crap hotels when they flew in and, and getting a great laugh out of it. Mm. Um, so anyway, let's go over now to the interview I did earlier with Paul Bois, the... Um, Breitbart journalist. The movie is called Exemplum. Let's go over that interview I did earlier. Hello, Paul, and welcome to the show. Uh, we're here to discuss your movie Exemplum. Uh, very, very interesting. Uh, just to give people background, uh, you're a senior journalist with Breitbart, uh, that wonderful news website, uh, the website also that distributed the My Son Hunter movie, um, the mov- the website that was founded by the, the, the late, great Andrew Breitbart, who was a, a great friend of ours, and the reason we're in... Los Angeles. So it's always a pleasure to talk to someone from Breitbart who's carrying the flame of of Andrew. Uh, Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you for having me, Phelan. I appreciate it. No problem. Um, So, Exemplum, where do I start? Um, It's an award-winning movie. It won uh, the Pasadena International Film Festival Award. First of all, what is an Exemplum and why you chose that title? So basically what an exemplum is, it's uh, from the Middle Ages. It's a morality tale, a uh, morality play, uh, if you will. Uh, Chaucer um, is most famous for having done it uh, with the partner's tale. That was one of the inspirations uh, for this film. And uh, what they would just basically do is uh, they would tell stories, uh, usually about uh, corruption of uh, uh, some kind or a sin that they were dwelling on and how it would lead people to damnation or falling falling apart and everything. So, yeah, that's basically an example. It's a medieval morality tale. Yeah, very interesting. I just recently bought the, the, the Canterbury Tales uh, in modern English in a bookshop in Santa Monica. And it's a, it's a, it's a great, the great read. I mean, for those who don't know the Canterbury Tales and this is kind of off topic, but it's a it's basically a bunch of pilgrims go on on a pilgrimage and pass the time. Each every one of them tells their own tale, and their own tale reflects their own weaknesses and foibles and and uh, and concerns. It's a it's a very very interesting historical document and a document about humanity and uh, a great a great basis for this story. A great a great origin. Uh, for this movie. So it's Exemplum. It's about, uh, again, a, a religious person, a priest, who uh, has has failings, has weaknesses, uh, goes over to the dark side. Tell, tell, us about, tell us about 
what tell us what the film I know you don't want to to go into spoilers probably but what's the film about sure. and and why you chose those themes okay great I appreciate that you asking me that so the film is about a Catholic priest uh, he's a young Catholic priest he's uh, about 32 33 uh, he's been ordained for about five years and what he does out of paranoia is he starts recording his confessions and uh, and in those recordings, he becomes obsessed with them, playing them back and forth, formulating psychological profiles about people. And then he becomes inspired uh, to create his own internet show off of that titled Exemplum. And what he's doing is he's taking his people's confessions and he's formulating these morality tales about that. And he's very big on social media, it becomes big on Twitter, on YouTube. He becomes a Catholic media sensation. Uh, through corruption and bureaucracy in the church, all of that gets completely wiped out. His show is canceled, his internet platform is silenced, and he is going to be sent to this dilapidated parish in the middle of nowhere. And he's offering a crisis of faith and what he's done with his life and where he's gone. And so he decides to take one of those recordings and blackmail a wealthy parishioner with it. And in the process, he gets linked up with a hacker and it becomes this cat and mouse game. Uh, and there's a lot of reflection in there about, I think, um, and I didn't intend to do this, uh, by the way, this wasn't a, uh, uh, you know, like I wanted to create, uh, this, uh, story that highlighted this cultural problem, but I think there is a, a spiritual, uh, meditation in there about cancel culture, about the idea of taking people's sins and using them for power and personal gain, uh, and using them to destroy people. Uh, his job is to be healing people, is to be taking people's sins and forgiving them, but he retains them. He keeps them in a locked in a safe and they're all there to be used to hurt people in the end. Very interesting. Uh, so funny, what I got from it was I didn't get the, so he, you're saying he started to record it out of paranoia. I thought he started to record the confessions as part of a, a media that he had this plan. I mean, it's a great idea, right? You know, because people are tr truly honest in the confessional, and honesty. You, when you put honesty on the screen or on the page, it it pops. So he he uses the honesty of the confessional, and for for non Catholics out there, the confessional is where you can go and confess your sins to to your priest, and you are completely forgiven, mm -hmm. and the priest is under a oath. He will lose his priesthood, lose everything if he breaches the confessional. Even courts of law cannot force the, the priest to breach the confessional. What you've done is you've done a very good um, portrait of a media priest, of a media evangelical, let's say, of a media religious person um, who just who 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 gets consumed with the media rather than, as you say, consumed with the forgiving of the sins. He's using other people's sins. And you sometimes get that when priests are, and I don't want, um, and, and there's a very public priest recently uh, who got into trouble. And the sense is that he was using other people's sins for his advancement. Uh, and you can see that on mm -hmm. with some evangelicals using, the, using sin for an advancement rather than healing people uh, and in private. Uh, they're using it as a public way of, of of both advancement in terms of of media profile, but also in terms of of financial gain. Uh, was that was that what inspired yeah. it? Yeah, 
partially the the inspiration behind his his media blitz. Uh, what initially, as it shows in the film, because um, we tackle a lot of issues um, in the Catholic Church. I mean, we're tackling media personality. We also tackle we 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 address the sexual abuse scandal that you absolutely cannot you know, handle a Catholic film, you know, especially something this dark without addressing it. Um, and what start makes him start recording his confessions is he hears a story about a priest who was falsely accused by a nun, and that priest got off because he had a camera sacristy so that's what makes him start recording his confessions and fear that he could be falsely accused one day so it begins in honest terms. i mean he's violating the seal of confession and he says flat out in the film is that it was either between excommunication or personal reputation i chose reputation so he chooses the way of the world rather than the way of god uh so that's there and then when it comes to his media blitz and using people's sins to become popular i think that is a that's a very real reflection about what we see today in catholic media i would say even in conservative media i think uh people uh see our divide our pain our our hardships and uh to them it's not about fixing things or make building uh, a bridge it's just about using that to become popular and become famous so that's a very way of putting it but yeah no no uh, listen uh, I, I i think if anyone thinks of of a lot of popular uh pastors and priests they can see that there as well and i suppose it's it's what journalists do as well it's what we do but we don't have the same uh you know that's what we do we, we're we're out there we're using you know not using people's problems but we're using the world's problems to tell a story to to highlight things, and that's our job. A priest's job is to, is to heal heal those uh, wounds, uh, not to expose yeah. them. Uh, and so we we get a we I think we get a bible. That's my that's that's what I'm saying anyway to make myself feel better. I mean, I have another question. It's black and white. Why did you make that decision? Well, there's a lot of decisions behind that. Um, some artistic, some practical. Uh, it is a film noir film. At the end of the day, uh, so it fits the genre uh and i do think that the black and white fits with uh, father colin jacoby's perspective on the world and on people uh he's a very black and white view lack of nuance towards people and their sins uh and then third this is a movie this is a low budget movie we made it for nine thousand five hundred dollars uh and uh so we're working in uh we're we have no professional production design Everything that you see on that film uh, is pretty much locations that we just showed up to. Did a little tinkering around of some things uh, just to make it cohesive. Uh, but that's everything you see there is is what it is. Um, so we have no professional production design, no art direction. Uh, so by going black and white, just everything just fuses together. We don't have to worry too much about uh, colors uh, competing, especially with costumes or anything like that. Uh, so it, uh, in many ways, uh, I feel it um, improves the film uh, and makes it feel a little bit less low budget, in my honest opinion. Yeah, I, actually, uh, I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, it does. It makes it funny enough when when you see something black and white, you think, oh, th- th- this, these people had time and money, um, as opposed mm-hmm. to, yeah, because very often, uh, yeah, you're right. In, in low, it's nothing worse than a low budget movie with bad coloring. Uh, it's it's yes. it, it stands out and and the movies we've made we always tried and you can see that with my son Hunter and that was Robert Davi you know he banned yeah. white lights from from the set uh, none of these white lights that were that all conservative movies have 
that they just they just lit it with this bright white light. Uh, uh, he, I mean, the color on my son Hunter, and the and the, and the, and and the the composition, uh, but that we had uh, we had you know we had two million dollars uh, of which of, of publicly raised money. We had two million dollars. You had ten thousand dollars, less than ten thousand dollars, and uh, I mean, you've done an amazing job for that budget. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Well, I. Get- a lot of credit to my cinematographer, Vlad Ionescu. Uh, and I think that's one of the benefits of Black and White. It just allowed us to just focus on shadows. And he was very good at that. Very, He really wanted to make sure that we got the shadows, especially in the night shots. Yeah, and it, it matched the, the noir feel of the movie. It really did. And if you notice also, um, what we did, well, uh, yeah, one of my inspirations, two of my inspirations for the film, obviously, were Pie and Following. I'm a very big fan of the 1990s independent filmmakers. Uh, and that was also another reason why I wanted to go black and white. I really appreciated those films of the 1990s, these filmmakers that really did come from nowhere. This was before the independent film movement was this own racket and you had film festivals on every corner. Um, you know, now you have to know people to get into a film, film festival. These guys came from nowhere. They had nothing. They had $20,000 typically, and they would just make their really interesting films with black and white uh, uh, film cameras. Uh, and I wanted to get the feel of that, that feel that we had nothing, that we came from nowhere, that we owned the corner and, uh, and we did not apologize for it. So that's why I added in the eight millimeter film grains in there. That's why I added in the Gaussian blurs. I drained the whites and I drained the highlights. Well, I mean, now uh, the independent film festival scene, you know, the indie scene, it's it's just as the, the gatekeepers are even worse, I think, than, than Hollywood or just as bad as Hollywood. The wokeness is, is almost worse. Yeah. Like Sundance, for example, welcomed a movie called Jihad Rehab, which was about jihadis being rehabbed at a at a center in Saudi Arabia. Got access to to these uh, jihadis that they spoke. Uh, it was a very interesting documentary, very interesting topic, and uh, nuanced. And uh, because some activists objected, Sundance pulled a movie from its lineup. I mean, uh, so the independent sector is not indie anymore. It's just mini Hollywood uh, with the same neuroses. Uh, and the same tendency to censor, the tendency to, to cancel. Yeah, I, I 100% fully agree. Uh, the film festival circuit was was a, definitely a hard hard route, but it's definitely something you have to try at when you're at this level. Um, I, it's, I learned very quickly that if you want to get into a top-level film festival, you have to have connection uh, in with it. I mean, these film festivals, I mean, don't even, uh, the top level ones like Sundance or, or, or Santa Barbara, I mean, most of them uh, don't even look at the fe- uh, films, um, people that are blindly submitting like I am. They, they know all the films that are coming out from the major studios or major talents, and, uh, and they pretty much curate. And people like me are maybe set aside if uh, if they find a space for them. Uh, but, you know, on, on the positive front, you know, the film festivals that I did apply to that didn't have that kind of racketeering that were fair, uh, I did very well at, you know, Pasadena International Film Festival uh, was a wonderful film festival to have us. Uh, and uh, our film was up against films that had over, you know, $200,000 budgets uh, and full full crews. And uh, I won Best Director and I was a, a wonderful uh, experience uh, to go to that. So there are festivals out there that are fair, that are that are focused on. Uh, the work and they're not out to curate um uh and so you but you have to find them you have to really work at finding them tell me about the actors i mean obviously you're in it 
Um, and who mm-hmm. are the other actors mm-hmm. and, and, and where did you find them? So obviously, yes, I am the main character. I do play Father Colin Jacoby. That was 100% a budgetary decision uh, because we are working seven weekends. Uh, he's in every scene of the film. Uh, I, unless I had a very close friend who was talented and could do it, uh, there was just no way I was going to get an actor out there uh, for, for no money uh, that amount of time. So I knew I had to do it, and it just made things easier uh, by having one less schedule to, to wrangle. So that's why I'm in the film. And then uh, so I got really lucky with my cast. I'm just going to say it. Uh, so Joe Griffin, who does, gives a wonderful performance as Louis Costa, I know him, knew him through my Catholic circuit out here in Pasadena. Uh, and he was, uh, he's a retired actor. I mean, he still does do some acting, but he mainly, uh, runs his uh, Irish pub Griffiths of Kinsale and South Pass. Uh, and so I knew him and I reached out to him. Uh, this was during COVID and his bar was actually closed at the time. Uh, I said, Hey, I've written this film, uh, this film, I got this part that you're perfect for. Would you do it? He read the script, looked it. he said, let's do it. Uh, so that was him. He was locked for Louis Costa. And then Francis Cronin is a very interesting uh, story is how he came on board uh, to play Father Liam. I mean, he gives the, the standout of the film. I mean, no doubt. Uh, James Bernelli, he reminded him of uh, Willem Dafoe. Uh, so I knew I met Francis Cronin through my friend Adam Yenser at uh, my uh, comedian answer it was a writer for Ellen DeGeneres he was doing a show at the Scientology Celebrity Center in Hollywood and I was like okay I gotta go see what a comedy show is gonna be like at the Scientology Center it just say just too much mess up so we went uh and uh they take us down to this theater in like a basement and there's like five people there it was just so weird so there's five people there and then you know adam and this other like former snl writer does her performance and then francis does his performance and he was a really funny guy and he mentioned that he was an irish catholic and so him and i connected on on that front uh afterwards and we got to, i got his number uh i that was like in 2019 and then i just sort of kept in touch with him you know briefly throughout the time then after I had written the film, uh, I, I had two other people lined up to do it. Uh, they couldn't do it. And then I just was like, oh, I'll, tr- I'll try Francis, just see if he wants to do it. And I uh, reached out to him. He immediately said yes right away. And wow, great performance. No, no, man. Uh, look, this is another thing, another um, pet peeve I have with conservative movies is that there's bad acting in them too. And there's no, there's no bad acting in this movie, none at all. Well, thank you for that. Uh, and and then Lily, uh, Brittany Lewis, well, that was 100% uh, a casting call. We put that online, Breakdown Services. My friend Rachel Varela, casting director, uh, she orchestrated that. And, uh, you know, when, again, when you're working at this level, you know, you're going to get, you're going to maybe get one or two people out of like 100 people that apply that are going to be right for the part. And she just, she was just perfect. She just nailed it. I, I saw her on screen instantly. I was like, she's beautiful, but she has a haunting beauty to her. Uh, just and. Couldn't have asked for a better person to play. And, with. and there's a twist, and she has a twist in the tale. I, but I won't tell people what that is, with that character. Um, so, um, how can people get access? So, well, actually, uh, we talked. You talked about it earlier. You said you know you can't really make a movie about a priest without addressing the sexual abuse scandal. Was there was there any concern that you know you're you're that this is this is about a corrupt priest? Um, and, and corruption, and even his archbishop, his bishop is corrupt. Um, there is one good priest in it. Was there any 
were you, were you concerned at all about this? Oh, this is just another anti-Catholic priest movie, or uh, you, is there another story that that the movie is telling? In your opinion? Yeah, I'm sure that people will initially may want to come away with that or look at that on the surface. Uh, I certainly don't see so. Uh, I mean, I'm clearly from. I'm a very committed Catholic, and I love the church uh, and and Cath and everybody who worked on this. Uh, uh, for the most part, was a committed Catholic who loves the church. I just think that uh, I mean, if we're going to be talking about um, issues, you have to talk about them and deal with them honestly. And there's just no doubt there are corrupt people in the church. There are corrupt bishops, there are corrupt priests, but there are also good priests, there are good Catholics. And at the end of the day, it, I think the film is also kind of a reflection about uh, is it worthy, is it good to just be so consumed with that, to become so jaded by that? Uh, you know, a lot of Colin's downfall is he can't come to accept that his bishop is a bad man and he is corrupt and there are bad people that get into power. Uh, there's that wonderful uh, monologue that uh, Father Liam gives to him. About, uh, he quotes Solzhenitsyn. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he says, um, you know, uh, the heart, uh, the, the evil runs every man and who is willing to destroy you know a piece of his own heart uh, say, say that again you dropped that just it's worth it's worth repeating it's kind of the theme of the movie actually say that again the, the quote father liam uh in during colin's crisis he quotes uh, solzhenitsyn and he says uh, to him you know the the evil runs to the heart of every man and and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart i think some of us get into this mentality uh, that one day we're just going to find all the evil people out there and people more in power. I don't care if they're liberal or conservative. We're just going to find, we're going to put them all in a room and we're going to lock them all away and everything's going to be all hunky dory again. And that's just not, not the truth. You know, evil is in my heart. Evil is in your heart. Evil is in everyone's heart. And it become in, if you become too self-righteous about it, you'll destroy yourself. You'll become hateful in the end, like what Colin becomes. Yes. Uh, and again, I think that's the, the, the fault. That's the weakness of a lot of media priests and a lot of media pastors. Um, definitely that, um, the, the self-righteousness. I mean, I don't know what the, uh, is self-righteousness, but they, they don't recognize that if man is flawed, then they are flawed, you know? Um, so on, on that cheery note, I think it's a, we, we should end the interview. Um, tell people the name of the movie is Exemplum. Tell people where they can get it. Uh, uh, it's it's going to be released tomorrow Thursday. Um, tell tell the people how they can access it. Exemplum will be going live on Thursday on Vimeo uh, TVOD. Uh, it will be available rental price of one ninety nine, so less than the price of a cup of coffee. Or you can purchase it for nine ninety nine. Uh, we will be going live on other platforms uh, eventually. To be and, and YouTube, uh, Indie Rice has its own YouTube channel, uh, so will be eventually available for free. But this is our first platform that we're launching. When you say Vimeo, just for people who don't know, Vimeo is a just key in Vimeo dot com on 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 the internet, and you'll get to Vimeo, and then look for Exemplum. How do they how do they access it? Yeah, you can go to our Instagram. You can see uh, the uh, link uh, on our Instagram. I'm happy to send you all the link, uh, and you can share it with people. Um, you can, uh, yeah, if you go to Vimeo, you type in Exemplum, uh, you'll be able to find it. E X E M P L U M Exemplum. Um, 
definitely worth watching. Uh, a great movie. Uh, Paul, uh, thank you so much for coming on and uh, talk to you soon. Thank you, Phelan. Have a lovely day. Bye. It's great. So, yeah, go to Vimeo. Uh, the movie, as I said, is Exemplum, E-X-E-M-P-L-U-M. Uh, good to help uh, uh, conservative filmmakers out. It's, it's important that we do that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, this is, look, this is, this is, look at this article uh, in the New Yorker. I, I love the New Yorker. Yeah, they write these nine million words. Nine million words, yeah. And, and the he- headline is, The End of the English Major. Enrollment in the humanities is in free fall at colleges around the country. What happened? Well, according to them, everything happened except what really happened. Uh, right? Right. Yes, so everyone's interested in One AI. One of those stories that writes a million, a, nine million words and they completely miss the story. Yeah, everyone's interested in AI. Everyone is, is interested in statistics. Oh, was it AI that ended it? Yes. And, no, but everyone's interested in, in studying those. That's what the cool people are, the data and all that. And it's like, no, nah. you know, when UCLA announced, was it 10 years ago that you could now study English at UCLA without ever having studied Shakespeare. When you attack the canon as something written by dead white men, mm-hmm. when you trash everything written before 20 years ago, yeah. what do you think? Do you think people are going to suddenly learn to love English, learn to love uh, history, yeah. learn to love the humanities when everything uh, less than, that's not 10 years old, that's not five years old, that doesn't have a transgender in it, you think that people are going to go, I want to be part of that. Like, the professors hate the thing they're teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how on earth is some 18-year-old going to go, I mean, how are they going to be inspired by a professor who hates what they teach? And if they don't hate it also, they'll get a feel. So, that's the end of the English major. That's the Hawaii, the end of humanity. I wonder, is the English major uh, ending at Hillsdale at a conservative college? That's a good question, mm-hmm. I wonder. I wonder is enrollment at Hillsdale in the humanities. Is yeah. it on the up or is it on the down? I must, I'm going to, I know someone I can ask. Yes, you do. And I'm, I'm going to ask her. And, and uh, that'll be a very, very interesting. I mean, Molly Hemingway, for example, teaches journalism mm-hmm. at Hillsdale. Yes, I want to go yeah, and to learn Mo- journalism yes, from, jur- from Molly Hemingway. From Molly Hemingway, yeah. someone who loves journalism, yeah. who understands journalism, who practices journalism, who lives, eats, and breathes journalism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if you want the end of, if you don't want to stop the end of humanities, ha- appoint people who love the humanities yeah. and who love Western civilization and who love the canon. So, Patrice Cullors, the former head of the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, gave her brother. And her boyfriend, the father of her child, almost two million dollars of, of char- charitable money. Of charitable money, and this is not even bringing in all the houses they bought and all the other expenditures. And no one has ever asked her that question about why she gave them this money. Is she sorry? Will she apologize? And she has never had to answer these questions. So she was speaking at an event at the Broad Museum, and I went and I asked her those difficult questions, and she did not like it. Let's watch what happened. Miss <laughs> Colors, I wanted to ask you, do you think it's appropriate that you give your boyfriend uh, almost a million dollars of BLM money? Do you not think it's inappropriate, it's unethical, to give a million dollars and 840,000 to your brother? Would you care to answer the question? Do you think it's appropriate? Do you think it's appropriate? Do you think it's appropriate? 
Why won't you answer the question? 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 I'm being harassed right now, you guys. Why won't you answer the question? I'm being harassed. You gave a million dollars of charitable money. Keep your hands off me. Keep your hands off me. You give a million dollars of charitable money. You give us a million dollars of charitable money. So you gotta leave. So you gotta leave. They said you can ask questions. They said you can ask questions. I'm asking questions. Come on, you gotta go, sir. I'm asking no, questions. No, no, we're asking you to leave. We're asking you to leave. We've asked you for three okay. times to leave. Kieran. Kieran, okay, Kieran, I'm leaving now. Okay, okay. let's go. So much for transparency, so much for openness. I mean, they demand transparency and openness, openness of the police force. They demand transparency and openness of the government. But they will not answer simple questions. Simple questions. So, Patrice Cullors, please answer why you gave your brother and your boyfriend $2 million. We know why you did. Will you apologize? <laughs> will, will they give the money back? These are simple questions. And these are very important questions because money that is that is collected charitably, I mean, you know, there's money that being collected charitably for, for cancer uh, research, you know, for, for all kinds of really serious things about alleviating poverty, alleviating starvation in certain places. And, a bl- you know, when you lose confidence in the in the reliability of charitably donated money, it affects all charities. Um, she she has a duty to respond to any questions about how money was spent uh, by BLM, who, as we now know, raised $90 million in one particular year. And, and very big questions need to be answered. And obviously you've seen how Patrice Cullors reacts when she's asked the simplest of questions. So uh, we're, we're waiting for those answers, Patrice. Thank you. What else? Okay, and is this the world's worst tr- wokest trailer? Um, and uh, go on, film. You were and, wonder, and people wonder why they can't go to movies. We can't actually show the full trailer because when we, if we show large parts of trailers or anything like that YouTube uses that as an excuse to shut us down, as they did a, a couple of weeks ago. If you notice, our our our, our, yes. our YouTube videos get tens of thousands of views, and then when we do anything you know, about trans or... Or about COVID. Or about COVID. Uh, suddenly, they just choke us. So I just thought we'd play this little Tiny bit. Tiny bit of this yes. trailer. So let's play that little bit. It's like he found me. Peter Pan? Were you expecting someone else? Are you... Lost boys. Every last one of us. But you're not all boys. So? Look, it's in the, wor- it's in the title. Yeah. It's called Lost Boys. They're the Lost Boys, yeah. right? And the whole thing about the Lost Boys and Peter Pan, I'm not a big Peter Pan expert. Uh, I kind of missed that out of my childhood. I don't know why. Um, but they're Lost Boys, right? And they'd never seen a girl before. And suddenly you go to the Lost Boys and of course they're all diverse, but they're also, Lost Boys are also girls. And it's like, well, that kind of ruins the whole um, weird vibe of Lost Boys. So what's very interesting is that this trailer is up on YouTube um, on the official on the official site of um, who produced this? Was it Disney? Um, and it's on their official on their official site but the comments have been turned off. No way. Yeah, no, the comments have been turned off. So it's quite interesting because I saw Phil, I mean, you'd written in your show notes there that, you know, you should really lead, you read the comments and I thought, yeah, well, that's interesting because they've turned, they've officially turned the comments off and I, I kind of, I pressed on all the buttons to find out why would YouTube do that and I just love what they have here, Philem. Why might YouTube, this is on YouTube's own, you know, when you when you go down the rabbit hole, this is what you find. Why might YouTube turn off comments? I love this. Comments on some you on some videos may be turned off by YouTube for safety reasons. Safety. Woo. Wow. 
for safety reasons, yeah? Um, like to protect minors or for other safety violations. We know that comments are important to creators and viewers alike, but we also take the safety of minors and other vulnerable groups seriously. Sometimes we may turn off comments or on content, even if that content doesn't violate our guidelines. So that's this case, yes. right? We do this to protect vulnerable creators, our audience, so our audience. So the vulnerable creators. So, ooh, oh, vulnerable Disney. Ooh, ooh. We can't. We, we're not going to be criticised. We will not be criticised. So we're turning off the comments. So this is what they did, oh. and it's so funny that you had said. Can you still read like, the comments? No, 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 one hundred percent not. No, you can't read any of the comments when you attack something like a you know a, a much loved story like Peter Pan, a much loved story for generations upon generations. You know, just don't go there. Why don't you create your own thing? Why don't you come up with your own yes. story? Why destroy something that was perfect? Yes. Something that was loved for generations? Yes. And what's happened, I imagine, is that grandparents and parents who loved that story for generations have suddenly discovered and they're like, oh, Peter Pan's coming to the theatre. They watch the trailer and they're like, what? A- is there anything sacred anymore? Is anywhere safe anymore? It's a boring trailer as well, by the way. Yeah. It's a boring trailer, you know. And they wonder why people don't go to the movies anymore. And on that note, why don't they go to the movies anymore because and then you can look at this trailer which again uh, how to blow up a pipeline you how know? to blow up a and pipeline and it's about a bunch of young people who are blowing up an oil pipeline and it's like okay we have to show how vulnerable the oil industry is by hitting something big Michael what do you think the odds are you of that I, I, mean, I, was, I was kind of amazed you know so do you, they're making a movie um, you know, ostensibly to celebrate, you know, these environmentalists who are going to blow up a pipeline. Yes. It's just, um, and by the way, the kind of awful part about this is that environmentalists do blow up pipelines. Yes, they'd love to um, blow and up do try to do try to destroy um, infrastructure around fossil fuels. Maybe, so, maybe the movie will make them out to be baddies, but it certainly doesn't look like that from the trailer. But this is again, you know. And by the way, there's no industry. Well, there's probably industries on the planet, but there's very few industries on this planet that use more carbon products or whatever yes. you call them. Yeah, we've been solid, on set. Solid fuel. We've been on set. We were actually I was going to say we were in a house last night. By the way, we were in a house last night, and we asked. Is that fire a solid fuel fire? And they, they, it was like we were speaking Swahili. I think it's not what Americans say. They don't say solid fuel. They say wood log. burning. They said wi- wood burning. Now, you see, we were explaining then to these friends that basically in Ireland we have this thing. Well, we sorry, we used to have this thing called coal. We don't have much coal now anymore, yes. but coal is actually a great solid fuel. But solid fuel, yes. yeah, yes. Well, that, was, that, was in, that was an interesting one. Because in Ireland, yeah, we have, you, in a fireplace, you could put coal, you could put um, peat, peat briquettes, so that's you know bog that's yes. been that's been consolidated, concentrated, and wood. burns quite well, and then just wood itself. Wood chip the whole thing. Wood wood burns too quickly. Yeah. That's the problem. So so there's no industry in the world. Uh, there is, but it's one of the most energy consuming industries. I mean, like the lights and traveling. Like we did. So when we did Gosnell, for example, I'm just thinking. I mean, the same thing when we did when we did the Mice on Hunter. Yes. But I'm just thinking of Gosnell, and you know, a small budget film. What was it? About three million dollars. But I just remember the, the first day on the set just being, it was my first day on a set ever and it was our set for the first time and it was really exciting. But basically to come across all these massive, massive trucks that are running diesel engines like and have them on permanently because you got a, a, one Run of them the with full, full with like,
like a hairdressing situation, another place where people were putting on costumes and stuff and yeah. makeup and all that. And it's, I mean, it's very industrial. And that was a tiny movie. So you can imagine when you multiply that by 10 and by 100, how much, like, for example, the Disney film, like the Peter Pan yeah. movie, how much money, how much energy was spent there, how much fossil fuels was used there. Uh, yeah, they're not in a position really to be throwing any kind of fossil fuels or solid fuel at any one film. Yeah. Do you get that? Boom, boom. Do you see that? Look at me. Look at me with the humour. Moving on. Speaking of crazy California. Speaking of crazy California, as you know, like, look at us. We're dressed like, you know, we're like, we're dressed like we're going to, we're living in the mountains. Yes. And by the way, can I just say, thank God we're not living in the yes. mountains because the news is very, very bleak, very difficult. Um, and we've seen, like, there was one family that's been featured a lot on the news. Um, it's a husband and wife and they've got a, a new baby. They went up to the mountains, like, what, two weeks ago? Yes. Just, you know, for a weekend away kind of thing. And have been trapped up there since and running out of food. And it's, I mean, just extraordinary. And into the midst of that... And there's no that, heat as well. They're, they're putting oh, no, their baby in sock. Well, they had to move. I think that couple, actually, the, the couple with their baby, they had to, They were in an Airbnb. And, and obviously, the like, what, not obviously, but a lot of electricity has been cut off to a lot and of these gas. places. And gas. And so... They had to move to another Airbnb, and I mean, they're, they're very they're very cheerful and fine when you see them. But but the husband was sort of saying, you know, that, that the local, and and we saw that on the news as well. The local uh, supermarket, the roof caved, caved in because of the weight yeah. of the snow. So this is extraordinary times. So what do you expect the governor, you know, our leader, our fearless leader, to yeah, do well. in this circumstance? And basically, he went as we were saying earlier. He didn't just go Ted Cruz. He went. Full Ted Cruz, and then he actually surpassed Ted Cruz. We remember that Ted Cruz. Here's a picture of poor Ted Cruz now, caught at the airport down in. Um, where does Cancun. he live now? Where oh, does he live now? Where does Houston. he live in Houston? So basically, Ted Cruz decided when the awful weather happened, when the blackout happened in Texas, that you know what? I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I've got the means to get out of here, so I'm out of here. I'm going and to the off Ritz he Carlton. went. The Ritz Carlton in Cancun, which Philip and I have stayed in, by the way. And you know it's it's great and lovely and everything like that, but no, you really you really want if you're going to go Ted Cruz or you want to abandon the people that you were elected to protect yes. and care for. This is, by the way, just remembering with with um, with Gavin Newsom, literally, um, like he he literally has just announced had just announced um, a state of emergency for the for the for the, for um, parts of Southern California for many parts of California because in general. Of the weather. So what does he decide to do? I'm out of here. So he gets out of here and goes to Baja California, what they call Baja California, which is basically Mexico, which is part, you know, Mexico. It's not at all California. It's just that part of the, of the, I suppose, the peninsula, peninsula that, yes. that extends down into, into Mexico. And we don't know where he went. We do know that he went to Baja, Baja California, as they call it, which ha- does contain a town called Cabo San Lucas, which is very, very pleasant. And we do know that in the past, this same Gavin Newsom has gone to Baja California, to Cabo, and stayed at a delightful little place there, a delightful compound. And we're going to show you lots and lots of photographs of this delightful compound, because I have to say, as you probably know, if you watch this show faithfully, property porn is something that's very important to Philip and I. Yes. So he, in the past, and by the way, when I say in the past, I mean in the middle of... California's massive lockdown during COVID, he went to Cabo San Lucas and stayed in the delightful Dacia, what's called the uh, Dacia Cabo, Cabo Dacia. Two, 20, and just for you and me, and those of you ready to just, 
you know, get on, get on, get, the, on Airbnb. get on Airbnb and book this place. $29,000 a night to you and me. Yes. $29,000. But by the way, off when it's not during a holiday, which he mean he obviously got a lockdown price, I think it's $24,000 all, right. all the rest to, of the time. To be fair. But look at the lovely photographs. It's not a gorgeous place. And I just think Gavin Newsom, you see, I think there's something weird about him. I don't know if he's a real person at all. I think he might be AI generated. Look at the photographs of him. There's something just not right about that fellow now. Um, but anyway, yes, uh, during, during COVID, during Thanksgiving, he went to Cabo and stayed at this gorgeous place for $29,000. Can I just say that again? And it's owned, by the way, by a delightful Russian oligarch. A Russian oligarch. Who, who basically denounced, had previously denounced his citizenship to avoid, he had arrived in what, at the American embassy, I think, in Moscow. And you can do that, apparently. And denounced his Russian citizenship and avoided, by doing that, avoided an enormous amount of tax that he, that we, that he was uh-huh. liable to pay. But... Yeah, that's where that's where the the fearless Gavin Newsom, you know, went to Cabo. We're suggesting that's probably where he went. I have As to say, I've been to Cabo recently uh, for the first time. It's very, very nice. Very, very it, nice. It's we no have, Cancun. And the reason see. we have a lovely friend, we, we who we mentioned to you before, who rescues dogs yes. and has moved and has retired uh, to the Cabo region, and uh, we're just blessed actually to know that she's there because we can. Go what does what does he get? But this I, 24, I, 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 I had to do this. I just had to do this because, as I said, you know, this kind of thing does actually, you know, I think we all actually do enjoy these kind yes. of things because yes. Say to yourself, right, $29,000 a night. You're thinking, like, what would you get for that? Well, let me tell you what you get for that. You get 24-hour concierge on-site property manager. You get three gourmet, three, not By the one, way, not so one, the 24, not two. 24-hour concierge is different from the on-site property manager. Correct. Yeah. And not just one, not but two, not, not two, but three gourmet chefs. Chefs and waiters will be at the house from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. Wow. Six butlers. Service from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. Extra hours available for an additional $200 an hour. Six housekeepers. Six, six housekeepers. housekeepers. Um, two private dri- divers. Uh, dr- two private drivers, chauffeurs with transportation anywhere in Cabo, etc., etc., whatever. Two private security guards. Wow. Masseuse, available full-time. Treatments are an additional fee. Oh, no, I think that's really un- a little bit mean. Personal trainer available. Uh, all Ladatia staff hours are scheduled by you, the guest. If you would like staff members to be there 24 hours a day, this can be arranged for an additional car charge. And the house itself... It's cheap at half the price. Asher yeah. Chief at hand. Again, looking at the photographs here, it, the, the property features 10 bedrooms with ensuite bathrooms, HGTVs, whatever. Six of the eight bedrooms have ocean views. Industrial kitchen and all that. 10 bedrooms, you know what I mean. And what else? Two, yeah. Oh, two wine cellars, because one would not be enough. There are two wine cellars with over 1,500 bottles. One for reds and one for white. Oh, that's a great idea. One wine cellar just for the reds and one for the oh, whites. Yes, of course, of course. Rental allows, ra- the rental allows access to the wine collection and consumption is priced per bottle. Oh, you still get charged for the bottles. So is it, is it done in an honesty? Because um, we, we used to have an Airbnb and we had an honesty bar. People it didn't work out honest. at all. When you see the thing is with the Irish, you see, that wouldn't work well, out at America, all. Was the American with the honesty bar? No, I yeah. Oh, maybe you're right. Did we have it? Oh, yeah, maybe we did. State of the art techno gym. So I don't know what a techno gym is, but I'm sure it's great. Equipment with huge ocean views. There's a spa and sauna. There's two elevators. There's a theatre room, AC, Wi-Fi. There's a washer dryer. Like you'd go to a $29,000 a night place and be doing your own washing. Right. There's a hot tub, a fire pit, pool lounge chairs. You'd expect that anyway, right? Yes. Outdoor dining, whatever. Anyway, you, I, oh, I, like, I, I like that bit there now. What do you Two like? Two car then? garage with Cadillac Escalade and Mercedes Sprinter van. Oh, you get them thrown in. Thrown in. And All our rentals include a personal concierge. This totally whatever. Oh, yeah. Anyway, it's just I, wonderful. I just love it. But that's what he did. So yeah, as, so, as we are. So just to give you context, so places like I was up skiing in Wrightwood just before this recent storm. snowstorm. The next day, seven foot. 
Oh, yeah. Snowed in Wrightwood. So people are literally, their houses yes. and places in Mammoth, 54 feet of snow, yes. right? And you people in Colorado and all those places, you might be used to this, but this, nobody, I mean, to be fair, we're just not catered for this because for the last 20 years we've been told that there's going to be no more snow because of climate change because of global warming correct so why would you buy snow plows why would you buy helicopters why would you have people prep for being snowed in when there's never going to be snow again so and you know they're, they're still continuing this non-science science because they're still saying uh, with, even with that much water in this and we're getting rain as opposed to snow a bit of hail as well I mean, you look out there at the Hollywood sign, right? There's oh, yeah. snow behind the Hollywood sign. It's a first. On the mountain. I think it's, it's a first. I think it's a first. And we're witnessing that. And they, they still won't tell us the drought is over. Officially yeah. over, because, of course, there's no actual official definition, definition of, a drought, of a drought, which is very handy, by the way, if you want to threaten so people and scare people. You can scare people. About drought. Yeah. But you know the thing I was going to say that I think is that I think the, I think the big point about this that, that, that should be mentioned, you know, um, People have died. So bodies yeah. have been found. And uh, just reading today, I think it was in the LA Times, they're expecting to find more bodies because of the fact that people are snowed in, that the snow is up. It's up so high that it completely covers the first floor of many homes and in some cases up to the second floor. So, you know, there, there, there will be terrible news. And, you know, some of you probably don't know this, but Julian Sands, the actor from, um, I think he was in Room with a View, of course. Yes. Yeah, Julian Sand who is in that, has been missing basically now since just shortly after Christmas, who went walking in the mountains. And I mean, he's now snowed under, like a, a major, majorly yeah. snowed under. But in the midst of all of this, I think the, th- the big point is, we were told by the people who know everything, the experts, who are the experts on climate, who the people who are saying that trillions and trillions of dollars have to be spent yes. to avoid whatever. Th- those people, and they're saying because they have, because the climate is doing whatever, yes. and the climate's going to do this, and the climate's going to do this in five years and in 10 years and in 20 years. They can't predict, they couldn't even predict this happening. No. People have died as a result. There's no equipment up there in those mountains to clear these this snow, which, as you say, Phil, I'm in Colorado, they have all the stuff there because of yeah. the snow that they've had. But the reason that they're so ill-equipped here is because the experts, these experts, these awful people who have, you know, put themselves out there and said that they know exactly what's going to happen so the trillions of dollars should be spent on mitigation, really haven't got a clue and that's who's in charge of the asylum here. Yes. And it's very, it's, it's, fr- it's frightening. And we are cold and on a lower level of, 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 of importance. We are, like, look at the way we're dressed. This is Southern California. Yes, and, and, and the Oscars are coming up. And Actually, the Oscars we didn't are coming talk up. about it. I mean, we, at the weekend, we went to see everything everywhere all at once. We did. It does not look good. Chance of stopping it. 
Don't make me fight you. I am really good. I don't believe you. And uh, it's going to win everything. It's going to win everything. And I have to say, with almost, with almost no exception, I have, I think the film is perfect. I have to say, of course, the LGBTQ comes into it, of course, because they have to have that. But if, you know, but, but barring that, it is actually an extraordinary film. Yes. Um, it is really extraordinary, extremely imaginative kind of you know blow your blow your socks off inexplicable so watch it watch it with the volume up and the curtains drawn and you'll love it it's going to win everything I mean we we went to we had seen we're going to try and see most of we went to see Cocaine Bear at the which is not nominated for an Oscar just so you know and you know I can't explain to you what everything everywhere all all at once is about I, I saw on TikTok or somewhere like that somebody said here's what here's what one thing about Cocaine Bear is you don't need anyone to explain to you what it's about or what the ending means or what the movie meant. If you know the word cocaine and what it means and if you know the word bear and what it means, that's all you need to know when you go and watch this movie. It's a bit gory. It's very gory, so it's not for everyone, but it's a, it's a lot of fun. Yes. But I will say everything everywhere all at once. We had seen The Banshees of Inishirin. Which, which is amazing. It's a great movie, but when you just look at at the acting and the movie of like everything everywhere all at once, you realise these guys are in the hippity place. You know, yeah. Brandon Gleeson hanging around with his friend. You know, yeah. uh, it's it's just not at the same level, and I I still believe that the problem is Martin McDonough got so burned with uh, three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, and th- th- redeeming a racist, which he's never been forgiven about. And he said publicly in an interview, "I will never touch race again in a movie." So he, there are things he will not touch in his movies because there are two cents. And once you tell an artist that, then it all suffers because they're writing. With a view, looking over their shoulder, the people who made everything ever were all at once. They weren't. Nobody was looking over their shoulder. I don't know who was, who was in their brain. But it's an amazing piece of art yeah. and uh, yeah. well worth seeing. And uh, you, if you if you want to watch the Oscars and appreciate what's going on, watch everything everywhere all at once because it's going to win everything. And if you haven't watched it, you'll not be part of the party. Yeah, I think you have to watch it so that you. So if if you're going to watch the Oscars, you definitely yeah. need because it's going to win everything. Okay, kids. All right, thanks. That's it for this week. We will see you next week. Take Bye. care. Bye.